0: Hi, Michael Movestro, and you're listening to the Vegas Bright Podcast, episode 32. The Vegas Bright Podcast from VegasBright.com. So, podcast, it's a Vegas podcast. And welcome to the Vegas Bright Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Movestro, and it is good to be here on this particular moment by which you are listening to this podcast. So we have a special edition of the podcast tonight. Even though I had done a a bunch of show prep and had more segments for you, I really do need to cut it short. Uh, It's just, it's very... As I'm recording this, it is super late slash very early, and if anybody has listened to this podcast before, you know I tend to start these things late, and show prep starts later than I would like it to, and I'm looking at the time now, and I really don't know how I'm going to get by for the rest of the day, Uh, and what happens as a result of these podcasts is sometimes I am up to uh, 3 to 4 in the morning uh, with the editing and posting it up, and I tend to sleep late on Sundays and then I have a really hard time falling asleep on Sunday nights and then when it comes to work on Monday I'm exhausted and not performing to the peak of which I would like to and so I changed the order of the recording tonight instead of going from uh, one to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing this segment that I'm recording now is the almost last thing that I'm recording for the podcast looking at the time of Vegas gone by. It went extra long tonight, but it's good stuff. So that's a keeper. And then I'm talking about the how we went viral Friday, Saturday. I think we're still going, but not as not as strong. But we went really strong on Friday um, with the April Fools' article that we posted a day early. And I want to talk about that as well uh, because there's a uh, there's some good stuff there, and it's an important moral. So. This week's podcast, we will not be doing news around the web. Uh, we we won't be doing the Vegas Bright Week in Review, unfortunately, and I apologize for that. However, I need to get this in. I need to get this done, and I need to get to sleep. Uh, so I have to come up with a new way of of doing these podcasts. I'm not sure if maybe I'll do a segment a night like of the week, and put it all together at the end of the week or something. Um, it's something I had to play with and figure out and I had to see, but I can't keep doing, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I shouldn't be up this late. So that being said, uh, we're going to go straight into Vegas gone by with Vinny extra sausage battle a mente. And after that, I'm back talking about, uh, how we went viral and the moral of the story because there is one if you read the article I will try to get everything in next week uh, news around the web and, and the Vegas Bright Weekend Review I, and I just gotta find a better way to do this uh, It's I should not be up right now because <laughs> you know what happens at the end of all these podcasts I sound absolutely fucking exhausted so that being said when we come back It is Vegas Gone By with Vinny Battalamente. We'll be back after this, so keep it tuned, streamed, or playing right here. The Vegas Bright Podcast is available on Vegas Radio Network, iHeartRadio iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and, of course, on VegasBright.com. VegasBrights.com. All your Vegasy things, no reserve fees.
1: Teeing it up at the Desert Inn Country Club and Spa in fabulous Las Vegas is more than just playing golf on one of the nation's finest courses. It's experiencing the luxury of a new world-class spa. It's feeling the elegance of impeccably appointed guest rooms. It's tasting the exotic cuisines of faraway places. It's smashing a tennis ball or soaking in the warm Nevada sunshine. It's knowing you've arrived. Hey, how are you doing? This is Vinny Bottolamente over here. Today I'm going to talk to you about. The Desert Inn on this segment called Vegas Gone By. The Desert Inn, also known as the DI, was a casino hotel on the Las Vegas Strip in Paradise, Nevada, which operated from April 24, 1950 to August 2000. Designed by architect Hugh Taylor and interior designed by Jack Lesman, it was the fifth resort to open on the Strip. It was situated between Desert Inn Road and Sands Avenue. The Desert Inn opened with 300 rooms and the Sky Room Restaurant headed by a chef formerly of the Ritz Paris. The casino, at 2,400 square feet, was one of the largest in Nevada at the time. The nine-story St. Andrew's Tower was completed during the first renovation in 1963, and the 14-story Augusta Tower became the Desert Inn's main tower when it was completed in 1978, along with the seven-story Wimbledon Tower. The Palms Tower was completed in 1997 with the second and final renovation the Desert Inn was the first hotel in Las Vegas to feature a fountain at the entrance. In 1997, the Desert Inn underwent a $200 million renovation and expansion, but after it was purchased for $270 million by Steve Wynn in 2000, he decided to fucking demolish it and build a fucking new hotel and resort. The main towers of the Desert Inn were imploded in 2004, but today the Wynn and Encore stands where the hotel once stood. Now you know where, it's, where it was. So let's get more to it. The original performance venue at the Desert Inn was the Painted Desert Room, later the Crystal Room, which opened in 1950 with 450 seats. That's a lot of fucking seats for back then. Frank Sinatra made his Las Vegas debut there on September 13th, 1951 and became a regular performer. Yeah, Frank, good old champion of the board. You did it your way, buddy. Rest in peace. The property included an 18-hole golf course which hosted the PGA Tour Tournament of Champions from 1953 to 1966. The golf course is now part of the Wind Resort. Well, not for long, right? Because he's going to do that fucking little lagoon thing there with the little fucking island and shit in the middle. So he's like getting rid of half the fucking golf course. Whatever, so whatever. Know, I'm going to let that one go. The hotel was situated at 3145 Las Vegas Boulevard South between Desert and Road and Sands Avenue. The original name, for many years, was Wilbur Clark's Deserted. Wilbur Clark, described by Frank Sinatra biographer James Kaplan as, quote, a one-time San Diego bellhop and Reno caps dealer, end quote. Originally began building the resort with his brother in 1947 with only $250,000. But he ran out of money. You know why? Because he only had $250,000. Costs a fucking lot of money to build a shit like that. Alright, let's get going. Author Hal Rothman notes that for nearly two years the frame structure sat in the hot desert sun looking more like an ancient relic than a nascent casino. Clark approached the Reconstruction Finance Corporation for investment but they were struggling financially. In 1949 he met with Mo Dalitz, the head of the notorious Cleveland gang, the Mayfield Road Mob, and Dalitz agreed to fund 75% of the project with $1.3 million and construction resumed. See, you know, the mob's good sometimes, you know, we help people out, you need a favor, we do a favor for you, but of course, you owe us a favor in return. Uh, Not that I'm affiliated with, you know, any such outfits, or ever was affiliated with any such outfits, Uh, I would like to reserve my constitutional right of the Fifth Amendment under the grounds that I may incriminate myself. Yeah, let's move on. Much of the financing came from the American National Insurance Company, Though Clark became the public front man of Resort while Daylitz remained quietly in the background as the principal owner, the Resort would eventually be renamed Desert Inn and was called the DI by Las Vegas locals and regular guests. Kind of like how you know Treasure Island is called TI. Well then again they we were all trying to get rid of that whole, whoa we don't do pirates and shit anymore so now we're TI because we got two letters now and yeah, fucking, fucking A. Alright, let me let go of that. I gotta stay focused on these things. We're talking about the Desert Inn. Alright, alright. The Desireland opened formally on April 24th, 1950 at a two-day gala which was heavily published nationally. Journalists from all the major newspapers and magazines were invited and the hotel paid $5,700 to cover air tickets. 150 invitations were sent out by Clark to VIPs with a credit limit of $10,000. That's not too shabby. About half the attendees at the opening were from California and Nevada. At the opening show in the Painted Desert Room were performers such as Edgar Bergen And Charlie McCarthy, Vivian Blaine, Pat Patrick, the Don Arden dancers, Van Heflin, Abbott and Costello, eh, who's the fuck on first over here, and the Desert Inn Orchestra led by Ray Noble. In attendance were a number of mafiosi, well, what did you expect, including Black Bill Toko, Joe Messiah, Sam Maseo, Peter Lavaroli, and Frank Malone, not to be confused with Sylvester Stallone's brother. In a gala which Robert Greenspan believed marked the beginning of heavy involvement of the Mafia in the development of Las Vegas. Sidney Korshak was one of the early investors. Yeah, the mob had his hands all over Vegas back then. The Desert Inn became known for its opulence and top-notch service. The first manager of the Desert Inn had previously worked as the manager of the Clift Hotel in San Francisco. Lou and Edie Wasserman were frequent guests of the hotel. During the 1950s, the hotel often hosted the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Winston Churchill, I'm Danny Stevenson, Senator John F. Kennedy, and former President Harry S. Truman. Here goes here, and there goes here. Where is Harry Truman? He's dead in the ground. Dead in the ground. Dead, 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 that's from Bob's Burgers. In 1949, Lawrence Wine owner of the New York City's Plaza Hotel, purchased the hotel beside a management deal for Clark to remain as manager. In the early 60s, the mafia financed casino hotels of the Las Vegas Strip and Nevada came under close scrutiny by the fucking FBI, and they placed increased pressure on the Nevada Gaming Control Board to force the mobsters out of Las Vegas. After Sam Giancana was spotted on the premises of Frank Sinatra's Cal Navalage and Casino at Lake Tahoe, his gambling license was removed by the board, and he was forced to sell up and forfeit his share in the Sands Hotel and Casino. The design faced similar scrutiny by the FBI, attracting controversy at the same time for the involvement of Dalitz and his mobster associates. But simultaneously, simultaneously at the same time. Remember simulcast broadcasting back in the day. Remember radio, but simultaneously called for the prosecution of the FBI for illegal wiretapping. In 1964, Clark sold his remaining share in the hotel to Dalitz and business associates Morris Kleiman, Thomas McGinty, and Sam Tucker. He died of a heart attack following. He died of a heart attack the following year. Rest in peace, the bell captain of the Desert Inn, Jack Butler remembered Clark. He said, "Wilbur was the greatest guy. Without him, this town never would have got off the ground. Everyone came into the club just to see him, and he was all over the postcards. He was the only boss who would agree to have his picture taken." Hey, you know who's like that now? I'll tell you who. Derek Stevens, that's who. I'm kidding. I'm not saying he's like in the outfit or anything. He wears outfits. I'm not saying he's in one. I'm not saying he's connected or any shit like back in Detroit or anything. I'm just saying, you know, it's nice to see a guy you can walk up to and get a picture taken with him. He's a good guy. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's get going. Where was I? The desert Inn's most famous guest was businessman Howard Hughes. Arrived on Thanksgiving Day, 1966. Hey, uh, why wasn't he with his family? Why, was he, was he, was, why is he moving on Thanksgiving Day? What the fuck is up with that? Running the hotel's entire top two floors. After staying past his initial 10-day reservation, he was asked to leave in December so that the resort could accommodate the high rollers who were expected for New Year's Eve. Instead of leaving, Hughes started negotiations to buy the Desert Inn. On March 27, 1967, Hughes purchased the resort from Dallas for $6.2 million in cash and $7 million in loans. This was the first of many Las Vegas Resort purchases by Hughes, including the Sands Hotel and Casino for $14.6 million and the Frontier Hotel and Casino for $23 million. However, Hughes refused to include the PGA Tour Tournament of Champions in the deal, so Daylitz moved the tournament to a Stardust Resort and Casino in 1967 and 1968. The reclusive Hughes continued to live in his penthouse suite at the Desert Inn for four years, never leaving his 250 square foot bedroom. My that's a tiny fucking bedroom. Fu- what the fuck was he? How did he fucking live in there? That's smaller than the fucking New York City apartment. Fucking roaches have apartments bigger than that. Alright, let me stop. Usually unclothed... Oh, was a nudist. Uh, usually unclothed, he spent his time negotiating purchases and business deals with the curtains drawn and windows and doors sealed shut with tape. That's I mean, he's just sitting there this ding dong out making deals on the phone with oh, that's that's disgusting. And did not allow anyone from the hotel staff to come in and clean his room. On the eve of Thanksgiving nineteen seventy, he was removed from his room on a stretcher and flown to the Bahamas. You know, what's up with him in Thanksgiving? Shit's gotta happen. He's either Moving into a place or moving out of a place. He's always fucking moving. After the Hughes' death in 1976, the hotel remained under the Suma Corporation, who completed the extensive renovation that he had ordered. Suma sold the hotel to Kirk Kakorian. There we just had to put a fucking in it. To Kirk Kakorian. To Kirk Kakorian. Yeah, something like that. And the Tracinda Corporation in 1986. And it became known as the MGM Desert Inn. Kokorian sold it to ITT Sheridan in 1993 for $160 million. Ain't that some shit? In 1992, Frank Sinatra celebrated his 77th birthday at the hotel in an event which generated much media attention. Dick Taylor, the CEO of Public Relations from Rogers & Coen, recalled, We had the stars assembled in the casino's presidential suite and took them in limos to the entrance of the hotel where the press and hundreds of fans were gathered, like a Hollywood movie premiere. The stores were interviewed on the red carpet and they went into the famed Crystal Room. It was a very big deal. The property was sold to ITT Sheraton in 1993 for $160 million and renamed the Sheraton Desert Inn. Four years later, in 1997, ITT Sheraton undertook a $200 million renovation of the Augusta Tower and St. Andrews Tower and expansion, with the building and completion of the Palms Tower. The resort was returned to its historic name, the Desert Inn, dropping the Sheraton name place in the ITT Sheraton Luxury Collection Division. ITT Sheraton itself was sold the following year to Starwood Hotels and Resorts worldwide. Due to losing money, Starwood immediately put the Desert Inn up for sale and contracted a sale to Sun International Hotels Limited on May 19, 1999 for $275 million. The sale to Sun International fell through the following March. However, in 1999, Sinatra's and the Rat Pack's estate manager, Sheffield Enterprises, sued the Desert Inn, claiming an infringement of rights in their use of Sinatra's name and persona in its advertising and sales, including the words, Frank, Old Blue Eyes, the chairman of the board, and the Rat Pack. Sinatra's estate specifically objected to their use in billboard advertising, marquees, alcoholic beverages, and wine menus, and on the front and back of t-shirts and caps at its gift shop and alleged photographs of Sinatra and his signature on the walls behind the bar near the entrance of the Starlight Lounge of the Desert Inn. Yeah, they weren't supposed to be doing all that shit. You know, you gotta sign fucking papers and get... Yeah, it's a whole fucking thing and whatnot. The Desert Inn celebrated its 50th anniversary on April 24th, 2000. Celebrations were held for a week and a celebrity golf tournament was held with the likes of Robert Loja, Chris O'Donnell, Robert Ulrich, Susan Anton, Vincent Van Patten, and Tony Curtis. As part of the festivities, a time capsule was buried in the granite burial chamber on April 25th to be opened on April 25th, 2050. Three days later, I'm sorry, three days later on April 27th, Steve Wynn purchased the resort from Starwood for $270 million. Wynn closed the desert inn at 2 a.m. on August 28th, 2000. On October 23rd, 2001, the Augusta Tower, the desert in southernmost building, was imploded to make room for a mega resort that Wynn planned to build. Coming a month after the September 11 attacks, the implosion was marked with less fanfare than previous Las Vegas demolition spectacles due to its similarity to the collapse of the Twin Towers. You know, as a guy from New York, that's respect right there. That's respect. Good on you, Wynn. Originally intended to be named Le Rive, the new project opened as Wynn Las Vegas. Hey, it was intended to be named LaVrieve. That's the name of the show they got going on over there at Wynn. Ah, you know, he takes a name, he sticks with it, he might not use it the way he wants to, but then he makes it something else. The remaining two towers, the St. Andrew's Tower and the Palms Tower, were both temporarily used as the Wind Gallery spanning 1,316 square feet to display some of Wind's art collection. The St. Andrew's Tower and Palms Tower were finally imploded on November 16th, 2004. So right now on that space, you got Wynn, you got Encore, and you got the golf course. The golf course was part of the Desert Inn. So when Wynn opened, his first hotel, the Wynn Hotel, you remember he was standing on the fucking roof in the commercial. Uh, I don't know if you remember that commercial. But anyways, that golf course was Desert Inns. Ain't that cool? So that's 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 still a good chunk of Vegas history that's still there right now. Uh, until that son of a bitch builds that fucking lagoon. Anyway, that's it. That's Vegas gone by. The Desert Inn. Thanks for having me here, and Michael Movestro will be right back after this.
0: VegasBright.com, the Vegas website where the parking is free. And welcome back to the Vegas Bright podcast. So, we had a very exciting week because I kind of put up an early April Fool's Day joke. And it should have went up on April 1st, technically, but April 1st is on a Saturday, and, you know, I figured, what the hell, let's let's, let's, let's stir up some drama and see what we can do. It was a calculated risk. I know there's some hate out there, and uh, I'm okay with that. Part of the risk that was going to happen, but uh, we put up a a story, in case you don't know, uh, the headline being uh, Breaking, you know, big letters like it was Breaking News, Breaking Shopping Plaza could replace Bellagio Fountains in five years. I mean, it said it could. It didn't say that it will. I mean, it's you know, there's some honesty there. Uh, however, uh, you know, it's uh, it stirred up some drama. It stirred up some controversy. Last I checked, across Facebook, so not just the Vegas Sprite page on Facebook, but from other shares, people who read the article or people who saw the article and then posted it on their profiles, Facebook tracks all of that. Uh, and I was surprised to see how far it really went besides the Vegas bright page uh also it's on the Fremont street experience page uh and uh but it went so many places so right now, as of the time of this recording, which is almost two in the morning on April second, it's at eight point nine thousand shares uh which is which is pretty big for Vegas bright, yeah, eight point nine thousand shares. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of page views on Vegas Sprite. Uh, it's actually at, it's actually over forty thousand article views right now for that article. Yeah, in a in a short period of time. So you you know it's 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 pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And you know in that article uh, there happened to be some three D renderings of a, a shopping plaza. Uh, you know taking over the fountains. Uh, the fountains were gone. They were reduced to a little stream that hugged Prime and Lago and all those little places. And uh, there are these renderings that look like, you know, it's preliminary um, ideas being drawn up. Uh, I gave Vinny ES Battle of Mente credit for it because I didn't want to put my name on it. And so, uh, yeah, it uh, it created a buzz. And what's cool about it is that it ended up kind of... Uh, much to my surprise, uh, being a bit of a social experiment because you get to actually see how many people saw the headline of the image and reacted immediately by expressing their displeasure without reading the article. And uh, that's what happens, though, on social media, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's how, you know, when it goes to seeing something on Facebook, a lot of people out there see an image and a headline and just react, form an opinion, one, without checking anything, forming opinions, and then commenting, expressing what they're going to express, or sharing it, or liking it, or whatever they do. And and that's kind of dangerous. Uh, and that's why I, I always urge people to look at what they're reading. Don't just see an image and a headline and share it to your wall because you feel like you have to get it out there Um uh, do research, you know, and see if it's legit. And, you know, if, if if you can't confirm or deny, then it's up to you. But for the many people who didn't read the article, it said in the article twice, April Fool's. Uh, and the funny part was uh, there were people who realized it was an April Fool's joke. They read the article, and then they're just watching comments happen on Facebook pages And kind of laughing at these people who are expressing their uh, anger at the idea of the Bellagio Fountains being replaced by a shopping plaza. So I think I would like to give kudos to everybody who commented, even if they didn't read the article. Because 99.9% of them are very passionate about the Bellagio Fountains, as I am. I love the Bellagio Fountains. I originally had the idea to do this April Fool's joke last year and I just didn't get enough time to write an article uh, or come up with renderings like that. So last year, right before April Fool's Day on my podcast, I said, we have a doozy for you on April Fool's Day referring to what I had planned for this article, but I just never got to it. I just couldn't get to it that week. Uh we had another April Fools article written by Michael James that went up instead, and that was fine, so it worked out. but this year, um you know I just said, "You know what? I'm just gonna go for it this year. I was kind of really hesitant to last year and kind of scared, but this year I was like, "You know what I'm just gonna go for it and I got Google Sketchup, and I taught myself how to use it for the most part in the very limited time I had last week. So the whole week when I got back from work I was I was working on these renderings and stuff. And um once the renderings were done, the story just sort of came to me. I guess I was piecing it together in my brain during the week, which is probably why when I started writing it, which is I mean when Vinny started writing, of course, Vinny extra Sausage Battle Lamente started writing it, not me. <laughs> it's not like we're the same person or anything. <laughs> That's silly, but anyway, so yeah, the um the story went out there, and it exploded. Um, now some people said it was wrong to post uh this April Fool's joke a day early because it's holiday creep and people take things seriously, and I understand that completely. And it was you know, again, it was a calculated risk. If April Fool's Day fell on a Friday, that would I wouldn't have post posted up a day earlier, but. I just kind of wanted to get it out there before the weekend and you know, that's what I did. So if I offended people, I apologize. I'm not here to hurt. Uh, I'm here to help, but I do understand if people are upset, uh, what I would like to do is, uh, just read some of the comments that I've seen come in to the FSC page. Uh, I, I'm not going to share names. I'm not sure if, if that's okay or not. So we'll just say this guy or this girl, um, and I'll just leave it as that. Uh, this girl says, it's all about the money. Those fountains are beautiful, but they don't bring in any revenue. Once Vegas went kid-friendly, that was a huge mistake. Another guy says, haven't been there in a few years, but if I remember, a shopping center wasn't far from that area anyway. I mean, literally up the strip. This one guy says, these comments are the epitome of, I didn't read the article, but here's what I think about the headline. Another guy says, why would Fremont Street Experience be reporting on something like this other than to create controversy and generate posts? Guess what? It works. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Uh, One guy says, if people read clearly... If people read it clearly, says April Fool's, stop reading headlines and then freaking you out. It makes everyone look like morons. Uh, the fountains bring in so much foot traffic, they would be fools to fill them in and build shops. I agree that this must be an April Fool's joke. This must be. He hasn't read the article. Uh, that is the worst idea and horrific. They don't need another plaza. They have enough of them. They're They have enough of them there use what you have shame 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 uh let's see made me look and you are so right the things we take for granted going there in a few days and i think i'll stop by the fountains for a pick good on you good there was a moral to that story there's a whole moral to that article the moral of that article is don't take anything in vegas for granted especially the free things those free things operate at a loss continuously Every place that has a free attraction is losing money. Uh, and you might say, well, it brings in enough foot traffic that maybe, and and maybe, and maybe, you know what, there would still be foot traffic, maybe, who knows, based on the other stuff they have in the hotels. Remember, it's not just casinos anymore. It's clubs. It's fine dining. It's shows. They do a lot of things to bring people in the door. So that's why my the moral of the story is don't take for granted anything that's free in Las Vegas. Um, it might not always be there. You never know what could happen. Uh, Go and see those things. Go and just behold the beauty of the Bellagio fountains. Go and take in the atmosphere of the Bellagio Conservatory. So many different displays in the year. Really check it out. Go see the, the fountain show at the Mirage. I still have to get back there. I haven't seen that show in a long time. And since they changed the schedule to Friday nights at certain times, it makes it damn near impossible. And then Friday nights in Vegas, I'm usually doing something else. And then Saturdays, I'm always doing something else. So, yeah, it's, 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 I got to make the time. Uh, but make the time, make the time. Go see those things that, that Caesars, the thing of the forum shops, the the Fall of Atlantis, go check that out. Go look out the the Habitat in Back of the Flamingo. Uh, check that out. Uh, so many things to do and see, and don't take it for granted and think next time. There might not always be a next time. I've learned that so many times in 2016, that there might not be a next time. You know, there might not be a next time. And then, you know, sure enough, like the Paleo Pronto thing. You know, it was like, I almost decided not to go during the Christmas trip. And then I was like, I had a feeling, I had a bad feeling. And it was like, this doesn't feel right. I got to go and do it every time. And sure enough, went to Palio Pronto and watched the fountains. And then when I got back home, I found out they were closing. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? So yeah, you never know. It's so there are things that are there that you haven't done that you keep seeing, saying you're going to do. And I learned that with Revolution Lounge. It's like, yeah, you know, what, so you know what? It'll be here next time, and I said that for years, and it closed, and I was like, oh crap! It's like that. Don't regret the things you didn't do. Go and enjoy every single piece and ounce of Las Vegas that you possibly can. That's really the moral of the story. It's right there at the bottom, and that's what I was, I, Vinny. That's what Vinny, of course, was was trying to was trying to get across. Not me, of course, because we're not the same person, right? <clears throat> let's see some guy says laughing my ass off what no 7-Eleven. the so-called shopping plaza looks like any cheap strip mall that can be found all over america seriously less than zero imagination and it just goes on there's a lot of a lot of rooms are sold at a premium to look at the fountains so they are making money but a lot of what made the strip special and a bargain has disappeared And that's just a lot of people expressing how, you know, where Las Vegas has been going, you know, through the years and, you know, all these places that disappear and get replaced with something that somebody else already has. The fountains are my favorite part of the strip. I live in Vegas and go down there just to watch the fountains every so often. Uh, And she lives there. This person lives there and goes out to see the fountains. That's doesn't take it for granted. It's easy to take something for granted when you live there. She lives there and go Season. I mean, this is this is really great stuff. Don't need no more damn shopping plazas. The water fountain is the highlight of the strip. You take that down, put in expensive stores, and nobody can afford to buy, and then it's going to keep turning over and eventually turn into an eyesore. Proof that a person should always read the, art, the entire article before commenting on it. Uh, let's see. <laughs> One comment says... Images by April Fools and by Michael Movestro with Google SketchUp. Don't need any more of the same stores. Too much shopping as it is. Knock knock down some of those shitty motels further up on the Strip and build it there. Leave the damn fountains alone, you ass jack developers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, that is, that is great. So it evokes a lot of emotion, it evokes a lot of emotion and you you see how people care and it's good to see and that made me feel good because i'll be honest with you in a world where las vegas rants seem to be getting a lot of reading and a lot of commenting it's nice to see a bunch of people who are actually still in love with something in las vegas and that well maybe that was my plan all along All right. When we come back, it's going to be shout outs and goodbyes. We'll be back on the Vegas Bright Podcast after this. The Vegas Bright Podcast from VegasBright.com. So podcast, it's a Vegas podcast. Okay. And that's going to do it for the Vegas Bright Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the shoe. Before we get going, we want to do some shout outs. These are uh, people who have websites that I read or people who have podcasts that I listen to, and sometimes a mix of both. To Scott from Vital Vegas, you can check him out at vitalvegas.com. Uh, better luck next year, Scott. I'm sure you're going to just totally own it next year on April Fool's Day. To Mark Meltzer from Edge Vegas, you can check him out at edgevegas.com. Adam from Vegas Fanboy, check him out at VegasFanboy.com. Chris at Faces and Aces LV Podcast, check him out at FacesandAcesLV.com. To Mark, Karen, and Tony at the 360 Vegas Podcast, you can check them out at 360Vegaspodcast.com. And also go there and click on Vegas Vacation to learn more about Vegas Vacation 4. Uh, Speaking of Tony, a shout out to him and Jason at the Vice Lounge Online podcast. Uh, to Mark Duval and Dr. Mike at the You Can Bet on That Gambling Podcast, uh, Mitch and Dr. Kev at Tipping the Odds Las Vegas, Cousin Vito at Cousin Vito's Casino Podcast, and to everyone at VegasBright.com for Greg C, Blonde Forever, Big AZ Marty, Paper Poster, Michael James, Kelly Lamrock, Sam Monsieur, Genadius, Fisherman, Matty Ice, Sailor Dude, Michelle De Palma, uh george adams and alex kosalova i'm michael mavestro thanking you for listening to this podcast and remember one thing well actually remember two things as a result of our april fool's joke and experiment we were able to learn that there's a lot more people out there who love something about las vegas than those who hate it the second thing is stay vegas and stay bright